This morning I'd like to begin this series and talk with you a little bit about it, just kind of an introductory thing, uh, an overview of some stuff that I would like to just kind of point out, some guidelines as we study Bible prophecy. But the first thing I want to say is anytime you start telling people you're going to start preaching a series or start talking about end time events, uh, people come out of the woodwork and show up at the church. Uh, People are interested in this topic for a lot of reasons. I always kind of joke about about uh, people, certain people that I talk to about it that say, oh, I just love end time event stuff. And the reason I tease them about it is say the only reason you're interested is you want to know how much longer you can be a sinner before Jesus comes back. And while it's a joke between me and them, the truth of the matter is, is some people, that's the truth. They just want to know how much longer I got before I have to repent. The fact of the matter is, is today is the day of salvation. Amen? Amen. With this topic comes a lot of controversy. With this topic comes a lot of arguments and people saying, I know what the scripture is and I know what that is and, and, and I get it. We're, <laughs> we are talking about Bible prophecy here, folks. There's some things in the Bible prophecy that are very clear and there's other things that are kind of vague. And when things are like this, it leaves room for interpretation and many ideas are forged. And when you get different ideas forged, people are quick to jump to conclusions and to call people names. This one is scripturally illiterate. And then that one over there is just pious and full of themselves. They think they know everything. Listen to me. My goal going through this series is not to establish my opinions on anything. It's not to establish that I know anything more than anybody else. And it's not to just tick you off, okay? If you have read some of these and you've come to your own conclusion on some stuff and I say something opposite, I don't want to fight with you about it. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But a lot of these prophecies, some of these prophecies are fulfilled in multiple ways. So let's all just get along and be friends. Amen? And with denominations, there's some friction. When you start talking about Bible prophecy and end time stuff, there's a lot of friction between denominations. Uh, there are different places that believe different things. Obviously, the first one is uh, you know pre-tribulation rapture like we believe in the assemblies of God. Others believe mid-trib. Others believe post-trib. Some believe it's already happened. Another, I don't know what's going on. Listen, I'm just going to teach and preach what I find in the Word of God uh, and what I, what I believe to be true. So I would caution anyone because of these things from becoming too dogmatic about Bible prophecy. You say, why is that? When you're dogmatic about Bible prophecy and angry about Bible prophecy, like I said, it, sometimes these prophecies can be interpreted a few different ways. I'm going to give you some examples here in just a minute. But then people create an issue where they start arguing and fighting about it. I do not believe that is the plan and the will of God. I think the ultimate message to us today is the fact that Jesus is coming back. And somebody needs to be ready for it. Amen? So I don't want to get into all the little arguments and fighting and all that kind of stupidity that goes on in churches because according to the Scripture, I'm supposed to stay away from foolish and petty arguments. There are some things that are spelled out very clearly in Scripture about future events, and there's some things that are very vague. Some things are interpreted clearly in Scripture for us, while other things are not interpreted clearly. For example, I'll give you an example. If you're reading in the book of Daniel, and you start seeing the explanations, the visions Daniel got of the beasts that come out of the water. Uh, one looked like a leopard, one looks like a bear, and all these different things. As you read down through Daniel, it gives very clear explanation for what those are. And so the angel stands before him and says, this is this, this is this. And then it goes on and makes it very clear what's happening. However, there are other places where things are said and you sit there and go, what was that? And there was no clarification. So we have to pull from different places of scripture and make a lot of sense of different things. 
But I don't want to miss out on God's ultimate purpose for giving us Bible prophecy in the first place. It wasn't to develop scholars, but it was to give the believer hope and the sinner a warning to repent. I'll say it again. Bible prophecy was not put in the Bible for us to develop Bible scholars, but to develop hope for the believer and repentance for the sinner. It's that simple. That's what the plan is. That's what God's going to do through us through this series. You say, Pastor, why can't I become dogmatic and argumentative about Bible prophecy? It's, you know, I'll tell you why. Because if you do, you're going to miss God. If you fight, if you get so staunch about something you believe in Bible prophecy, then I'm talking about one of those scriptures that's not clear, okay? If you get just crazy about that and fighting and arguing about it and say, I'm 100% right on this all the time, it is possible to miss God in the whole situation. You say, how in the world is that possible? I'm going to share something with you. Those of you that have been on Wednesday night Bible studies, you've heard it probably in the last year and a half or so, something that I talked about in there. Well, it's been probably closer to two and a half to three years. But I, I want to share an example with you this morning. And the fact of the matter is, if you, I'll just stop right now. 2 Peter chapter 3. If you want to turn there, we'll be there in just a few minutes. I got some things I want to run through first. You can follow on the screen with me, but 2 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to spend most of our time. The Jews, folks, missed the Messiah. One reason, because they were so uh, staunch believers on how they had interpreted in time Scripture. They had believed something, and they were right about it, but because they had gotten every detail down to a specific thing, how they expected it to work out, they missed who Jesus was. I'm going to give you an example. If you turn, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, the Jews saw this, they believed this, and once they had believed it and received it, they had a plan set up. They know that before the Messiah comes, they can expect to see Elijah. So their cue was going to be, Elijah's here, so now we must be prepared for the Messiah to follow next. Now we all know Elijah didn't die. Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind into heaven and, and uh, was there for the Lord. And even the Jews believed he was there and reserved and waiting to come back and to prepare things before the Messiah would come and establish his kingdom on this earth. That is a true interpretation. But what had happened was, if you look in the book of John, if you go back and you read through the book of John, you see this question always manifesting itself. They would look at John and they would say this to him, Are you Elijah? And John said, No. Are you the Messiah? No. I'm, are you Elijah? No. Are you, I am the voice that's crying out in the wilderness. And so they were confused. They would look at him and they would think, Okay, so if this guy John is not Elijah, then this Jesus can't be the Messiah because if he's the Messiah, Elijah has to come first. Write him off. He is not the Messiah. If you don't believe me, go back and read the book of John. You'll see it pretty clearly there. They asked and they were always asking Jesus, who are you? Are you Elijah? Remember Jesus said, who do people say I am? Some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. There was a confusion. They were always looking for Elijah because they were expecting him to come prior to the Messiah appearing. But the problem was, is because they were so staunch on end times prophecy and what they believed would happen, they totally missed the incarnation in Scripture. 
They didn't get that Jesus was actually taking on human flesh and being born as a man and that he would live and die for their sins. They totally missed that. They didn't understand that he was coming to set up his kingdom on earth. See, they got confused. And so because of it, they missed it. And folks, we don't ever want to do that. We don't want to be one of those that misses what's happening. So if John isn't Elijah, then why did Jesus say to his disciples in Matthew 11, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Well, now wait a second. Somebody's lying. Somebody ain't telling the truth here. You got one saying he ain't Elijah, and then you got the Messiah saying he is Elijah. Somebody has got a multiple personality problem. <laughs> so the disciples are confused. The Jews are confused. We thought Elijah was coming, but John says he isn't Elijah, and then Jesus says he is. But he says something really cool. He says, and if you are willing to accept it. Isn't that so true about us with Scripture? We get so dogmatic about things, we believe things, and then it comes to something that challenges our theology, challenges what we believe. In other words, if you really believe I'm the Messiah, if you will accept this, he was the Elijah that was to come. So there's this confusion that was weighing on their hearts. And I'm going to tell you folks, when that confusion comes, it creates a holy conflict in our hearts that causes us to continue to seek God and find out what God really wants us to know. And there's some more clarity. Jesus gives some clarity later on in Matthew chapter 17, verses 9 through 13. He says this to them. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Now, this <laughs> we have to understand that they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Jesus. They saw Moses. They saw Elijah. They understood who they were. They knew what was happening. And you've got to think like a disciple here. Okay, John wasn't Elijah. And yet Jesus say he was the Elijah to come, if that makes any sense. Oh, look, there's Elijah. Hey, okay, he is the Messiah. Elijah's here. He's going to set things, going to get things set in order and prepare for Jesus to take over the world. Where did Elijah go? Elijah's gone. Elijah disappeared. Now what? So on the way down the mountain, Jesus is saying, hey, don't talk about this. Hey, what, what's up with Elijah? <laughs> They're all confused with their Bible, their understanding of Bible prophecy. I thought Elijah was going to come restore all things, and now he just disappeared. I thought you said Elijah must come first. Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. Jesus just confirmed to them, he said that, that verse in Malachi, it can be believed for what it says. The day of the Lord, the dreadful day of the Lord, Elijah will come first. And what that's saying to us is, is that Elijah is one of those witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. He is there and he's going to be there for 1,260 days, I think. And he's going to prophesy and speak of Christ. He's going to turn the hearts of the sons of the fathers. He's going to talk about Jesus before Jesus comes back on the dreadful day. What is the dreadful day? The dreadful day is when he comes and by the sword of his mouth destroys the enemies of God and the Blood uh, runs for about 1,400 miles, the height of, of a horse's bridle. Okay? That is the dreadful day, okay? What they missed was that this day of Jesus came the first time and established a spiritual kingdom on earth. It was not a dreadful day. It was a day of rejoicing. Remember how the angels sang? Remember how there was rejoicing in heaven and, and people brought gifts? These, these magi came from afar. This was, a, this was not a dreadful day. This was a day of salvation. 
Jesus said, now be sure that Elijah will come. What you believe is true, but it's for another time. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. They said, here we go to John the Baptist again. Either he's Elijah or he's in Elijah. Folks, i got to tell you this. John the Baptist was not Elijah. If he was really Elijah, we have a problem. You say, why is that a problem? Because Elijah did not die, and John the Baptist was born of a woman. That means we believe in reincarnation. Okay? He is not Elijah. So we know that John the Baptist was not Elijah. So who in the world is John the Baptist if Jesus keeps saying he's Elijah? The clue is, in Luke, when we look back to Luke, Luke chapter 1, when the angel is speaking about what John's birth was going to be like, he says this in verse 17, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John was not Elijah, but his ministry was in the same spirit of Elijah. What does that mean to us? It means this, that that scripture in Malachi, while it does refer to Elijah coming at the end times, Jesus referred to it also as it's talking about he was the Elijah that led my way this time. You see how prophetic scripture can sometimes be used in a couple different ways? I'll give you another example. When we talk about in the book of Daniel, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar has his vision, his dream of the statue, the head of gold and, and bronze and, and, and uh, all of that kind of stuff, iron legs and, and toes uh, that split out into iron and, and clay mixed together. It was a kingdom that was divided and weak. We know and it's made clear who those kingdoms are in Scripture, okay? So we know that those toes, and we say, and it says there was a rock that was cut out, but not by human hands. And the rock was cast into that toes, that, that weak part of the statue where the ten toes were, and it was shattered, and the whole thing turned to dust and blew away, and the rock became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. You remember that? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody looks at that and they think, wow, that ten-toe kingdom is the very last kingdom on this earth, and that's the kingdom of the Antichrist. However, there are people that believe and have proof that is a further evidence of the Roman kingdom that split up into ten separate kingdoms that did not have the strength and power within itself. Let me just challenge you with a thought really quick. If you will accept this, if you will accept it, if it is that a totally and false interpretation? Because I know most of us in this room like to look at it totally from an end time standpoint. The rock was cut out with human hands and it was thrown into that kingdom and destroyed it and it became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. If we said that that was a reference to Jesus' time, would it be false? What, what uh, government was in power at that time? The Roman government. Jesus came in and folks, he didn't set up his kingdom on earth. He set up a spiritual kingdom that as of today is filling the whole earth. Amen? Is that a totally wrong interpretation? I, I've been challenged with that recently, and I thought, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. However, 
If you believe that, you must believe that one of the horns is raised up out of one of those, out of one of those toes, so to speak, with a great mouth speaking great boasts that is the Antichrist that's going to be destroyed in the last days. Folks, whether it's ten kingdoms in the last days or ten kingdoms uh, then and it's going to raise up an Antichrist now, it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is the fact that there is a stone that is cut out, not by human hands, that is destroying it and will fill the entire earth. There's a lot of scripture that people take a lot of different ways and it makes a lot of sense. So I'm not going to be overly staunch about it. I'm going to leave that to the people that have way more intelligence than what I have because I am just a welder trying to be a preacher. That's all I am. I can stick two pieces of metal together really good. But when we start talking about Bible prophecy, you're pulling from 15 different areas and and digging through world history and and looking at a lot of things. So I want to challenge you this morning. Don't allow yourself to be caught up in the arguments of all the interpretations of everything. However, look to Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. What I can tell you as it pertains to Bible prophecy, and it's very clear all through the Scripture, I may not hit everything perfect. There are some things in Revelation that Jesus made clear this is sealed up and nobody is to know about it until the end. We're not going to have it all figured out, but I can tell you one thing that I'm 100% sure about other than just Elijah coming before Jesus comes. Uh, The end is going to happen. There's an end to this world, folks. There's an end to to everything that we see here, everything that we know about, there is an end to it. We are going to have to stand before the creator of the universe one day. How it all plays out, what the seven-year tribulation looks like, how many people are saved out of it, how many people are martyred, it doesn't matter to me. But what I can tell you, we're going to study all that stuff, we're going to talk about it. But ultimately what matters most is do you know Jesus Christ because there's an end that's coming. There's an end that's going to take place. I want to give you four things to remember as we study Bible prophecy in 2 Peter chapter 3. And it won't take me very long. I just want to share them quick. Four things to remember. Number one, God is merciful. God is merciful. This is what frustrates me about Bible prophecy and end time stuff as it's taught and preached. So many preachers lose the mercy of God in all of it. We say, well, pastor, good grief, you're talking about a seven-year tribulation of, of, I mean, you're talking about, how can you say that God is merciful when, when there's like, uh, you know, a, 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 a meteor called Wormwood hitting the ocean and a third of all living things in the ocean are killed and a third of the ships and a third of the people and you start talking about bitter water and blood and you start talking about fire from heaven. You start talking about demonic oppression. How can you say God is merciful, folks? Seven years of tribulation versus about 6,000 years of man's existence where we deserved this the whole time. God's mercy is here because we have left Him with no other choice. If this wrath has been carried out, it's because God was left with no other choice for mankind. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
when we study these events coming up in the weeks ahead, when we begin to look into the rapture of the church, when we begin to look into the, uh, the first half of the tribulation, the second half, and we look at the Antichrist and the workings on this earth and the, the, the rising of nation against nation and all that's going to take place, folks, ultimately, and the most important thing in the heart of our Father is this, that He is not wanting anyone to perish. This is not just for us to get a greater knowledge of what's going to happen to those worthless souls that would not bow their knee to Jesus. This is a stirring effect to our hearts to gather and to capture the same heart as our Father. Peter clarifies the slowness of God. It should not reflect negatively on Him whatsoever. His slowness is not against us, but it is for us. We are not like the children that have been forgotten at school by their parents, mom and dad or after football practice, or after baseball, or anything else, or left at church. Me and Doug Vickery understand that one. It's just a little light joke, folks. When you have five kids, you forget one every once in a while. In a gas station on the way to Colorado. God has not forgotten us. He's not forgotten about us. He's not looked at us and said, Oh, you're not good enough. You can't come home yet. His slowness and His patience is connected to His love for us and His willingness to wait is only for our good. It's given us time for repentance. He spoke of the end times events and He uses words like this, soon and a little while. You say, Pastor Bob, soon has been over with for about 2,000 years. A little while is over with, folks. 2,000 years, 6,000 years, what is that in measurement of eternity? It's nothing. It's nothing. We serve an eternal God. And yet He is being patient because He loves us. And He loves the lost enough to do it. Do you know that He didn't, he didn't plan on translating us right out of this world when we got saved? Now, I myself, as a kid, I wanted Him to translate me out of this world immediately when I got saved. Because I was a little bit rebellious and I didn't want to serve God. I didn't want to do the right things. That's why I would call Pastor Allen if Mom and Dad weren't home before 10 o'clock and I didn't know where they were. This was before cell phones, before caller ID. And I would say, you want to know what the parsonage number is? You can call Pastor Tim and Missy anytime you want. 793-2308. Why do I have it memorized? Because I would sit at home. Nobody's home. Nobody told me where they was at. Oh, please, God, let him answer. It's not the rapture. I hope it's not. Oh, please, God, don't want to be the rapture. Hello. He's home. Good. Mom and Dad will be back. Pastor Allen probably sit there and thought, why am I getting so many phone calls of people hanging up? I, I, well, Pastor, I'm sorry, probably 60% of them were me. The other 40% was other people like me. <laughs> Mom and dad aren't home. The rapture happened. It's the end. Oh, no, I've been left behind. Did, 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 did. Call Pastor Allen. If he ain't gone, it didn't happen. <laughs> if he ain't gone, it didn't happen. Hello? <laughs> no caller ID? Now, caller IDs run that. You know what I'm saying? Block the call. Everybody's calling Pastor Bob. Nobody would call me. They'd say, Pastor Bob ain't going anyway. I know better than that. You know, when I, was a, <laughs> when, I was a, when I was a kid, I'd get saved. You know, I'd, I'd come to the altar and everything back in the day, everything was always, you know, works-based. If you were good enough, you were going to make the rapture of the church. You know what I'm saying? That kind of thought, which is totally false. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Our works are an evidence of our salvation. I'd come up here and cry and pray, oh God, please forgive me. And I, before I leave the church, I'd say, God, please come back and take me now because I'm going to mess this thing up tomorrow. 
And he didn't do it. We get married, April and I get married, we have kids, and we have little kids who say, Oh, Lord, come take us now before they get a chance to mess this thing up, Lord, because they're not going to make it, man. I just need you to come take them now. He didn't do it. Why did he do that? Why is he waiting? Because he is not willing that any should perish. It's not just about us. Okay? He's, he's got other people that he's concerned about, your co-workers, your friends, your family members. I think one of the negative things about the church has always been when and you start talking about end times things, you start talking about the rapture of the church. It's always even so, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come and take me away. And so oftentimes we're so quick to say, Lord, come take me away, but we forget about those around us that are going to be left behind that we haven't been ministering to. God is merciful. Secondly, end time events are true and definite. They are real. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Will. Everybody say will. Is there a question with will? Is there a might? Is there a maybe? Is there a perhaps? No, there is only will. The day will come. The heavens will disappear. The elements will be destroyed. The earth will be laid bare. These promises do not leave room for question. And I say this because I don't want you, as we go through this series, to be lulled to sleep and make this in your mind to cope with it as though it were some kind of a movie or some kind of a fairy tale or fable. And you say, Pastor, why do you do that? Because people sit in this and they hear this message so often that they just forget and realize they, they, they put it out of their mind that it could ever happen. I have talked to so many Christians and believers say, Pastor, I don't even want to hear that stuff. It scares me. I don't want any part of it. I, don't want to, I, don't, I just don't want to talk about it. It's just awful. Oh, it's scary. Well, number one, either you're scared because you've been misinformed because if you're a believer, you have nothing to be fearful of. Or you need Jesus. It's one of two things. But the reality of it is this. It is going to happen. And I don't want anybody in here to begin to scoff at it. I don't want anybody in here to be able to start talking about it. Why? Because when we scoff at it, we begin then to fulfill prophecy and proving that it is very near. Back up with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised ever since our fathers died. Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people. Let me tell you something, folks. What he's saying there is, is don't begin to scoff. Don't begin to get so prideful in your thinking that God's been gone away a long time. Jesus has been gone and he's not going to come back quickly. What he's saying there is, is remember this about God. He's big enough. He's powerful enough that he spoke all this into existence. Everything that we talked about a week ago, everything we see, everything we dig in the ground and find, everything we spend a, a, a satellite out into outer space that we can see, everything we haven't seen, he created it with a word. 
And by the same word, this world that we're on now was flooded because of the sin of mankind. There's proof of it. There's archaeological proof of it. You can go dig and find. You can ask scientists. This whole world was covered with water. And it was after creation that it was covered with water because there are things, fish stuck in the sides of mountains and all kinds of stuff, folks. It is clear that there was a great flood. And it happened. And by that same God that spoke things into existence and the same God that flooded this earth and destroyed it is the same God that is going to burn up everything with just the appearance of his face this same God is going to burn up the heavens and the earth everything that we see everything that we have not seen every far planet every asteroid that we have never seen and will never lay eyes on God spoke it into existence and there's coming a day where everything will flee from his presence everything the elements will be burned up it will happen Because our God is that big. Our God is that powerful. And the scripture says very clearly that it's going to happen on the present heavens and the present earth. This earth. This building someday is going to be burned up in the presence of God. My home, the streets, the school, it's going to be burned up. The presence of God. It talks about the elements being burned up. Folks, what elements are we talking about? Everything is made up of elements. You and I are made up of elements. The only thing that will keep us from being burned up on that day is the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for it. This is not a fairy tale. This will happen, and the end-time events will take place. In John 14, Jesus told him, he said, Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in the Father, believe also in me. And he goes on to say this in verses 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I will come again. God did not leave any kind of a question. It is as definite as the sun is up in the sky right now. It's clear. It will happen. It will happen. So God is merciful. End time events do take place and will take place. Thirdly, we've got to have the proper reaction to these truths. 2 Peter 3, verses 11 and 12, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Folks, again, the things we're going to be talking about cannot just be something that we see and experience in a service and get stirred up and think about and fearful and worry about for a day or so. Folks, this has got to impact our daily lives and our decision making. Our decisions have to look different. If we recognize that everything's going to happen this way, what holy lives should we be living? Now, just to clarify something again. Traditionally, it was all about If I've been good enough, hey, hey, you're going to make it in the rapture? Well, if I've been good enough, bless Jesus. It's not going to be good enough. Have you put your faith in Christ? Is He the Lord of your life? Have you bowed your knee to Him? Are you surrendered to His Word? Are you obeying His Word? Folks, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be good enough to get to heaven. If you were good enough, we wouldn't have needed Jesus in the first place. It's by His grace. And I say that because there are a lot of people that have grown up in the church who don't think they're going to make the rapture because they haven't been good enough. I want to give you a word of encouragement. You're going to make it. 
if Jesus is the Lord of your life, if Jesus is the Lord of your imperfect life, which all of us are imperfect, you're saved. And you'll be saved out of this wrath that is to come. And you'll be raptured out of this world and you'll be with Him. But I'm going to tell you, we still have to live here. And so that command about holy, godly lives isn't a convincing thing saying, see, I'm holy and godly, therefore you have to come take me. Rather, it's a holy, godly thing because we know the power of our God. We are fearful of Him. There's a holy fear and reverence of God. Therefore, I will live in obedience to Him because there is a greater plan for my neighbors, my friends, my children, my family. Everybody that comes into contact with me needs to see that I believe this and I'm going to live reverent to God. With everything God has revealed to us in His Word, it has a developmental purpose for our lives. It develops us mentally. There's knowledge there. It develops us physically. There's health things there. And especially it develops us spiritually. God is planning on working in us. And this whole series, folks, is all about self-development and purification and being turned into who God wants us to be. Do you realize that when you start talking about things being burned up with a fervent heat and things being destroyed, there is a double meaning there as well. The planet is not just going to go away. It's also a symbol to us showing us the fact that God is purging everything of sin. It's a purification process. Everything in this old earth is going to pass away. And according to Scripture, not one thing of it will be remembered. You won't be able to remember one Michael Jackson song on the new earth. You won't be able to remember one Elvis song. I know it's hard to fathom, isn't it? But Pastor Bob, a hunk of hunk of burning love. A hunk of hunk of burning love. A hunk of hunk of burning love. And you're going to say, I, there was a hunk, a hunk of burning something back there. I don't remember what it was, but it burned up. You're not going to remember stuff from this earth. It's going to be purged. It's going to be gone. So in light of that, we must purge ourselves now from this world. We must purge our lives of this world now because it's going to carry nothing over to the new heaven and new earth for us. If we're a believer in Jesus Christ and we're wrapped up in this earth, what good is it going to be? You need to live a holy life in preparation for that new heaven and new earth someday. Fourthly and lastly, because it looks like you guys looked at me last week like I had snakes crawling out of my head and I think you're looking at me again like it. Right now, somebody's saying, are you kidding me? Everything's going to get burnt up. Dude, i never heard this before in my life. Well, hopefully you repent of your sin and get saved and you won't have to burn up with it. Amen? Fourthly, and lastly, I'm going to have Alyssa and Devin come if they would and just kind of play some music. We're going to close service out. But fourthly and lastly, first of all, God's merciful. Secondly, it's definite it is going to happen. Thirdly, it should affect our lives and how we decide the Bible prophecy is affecting all these things. Fourthly and lastly, Bible prophecy, we should rejoice. Rejoice. This series, don't get caught up in the, the blood and guts of... There are people that always talk about the blood and guts of the, the tribulation period and start getting graphic about... Listen to me, it's going to be awful, okay? It's going to be really bad. And do I need to even say anything else other than that? We will. We'll get into a lot of the stuff. But really and truly, folks, do you want to be here? <laughs> Nobody wants to be here. Except one person. I did talk to one person that wanted to be here. 
One person was so deceived by the enemy, they said that was their plan, that was God's plan for their life, that they would miss the rapture and then they would be used for great things during the tribulation period. <laughs> that was kind of my reaction, Pastor Tim. <laughs> Deception. Listen, we need to rejoice. 2 Peter 3, but in keeping, verses 13 and 14, but in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Isn't it good to know that the troubles and struggles and strife of this life is not all there is? Here's the thing. With Bible prophecy, about end-time events, here's the two things that we look at. One, you're going to be a child of wrath or you're going to be a child of inheritance. Those are our choices. And folks, these are our choices in life, period. You're going to be a child of wrath, an object of wrath, God's wrath, or you're going to be an object of God's blessing and abundant provision throughout all of eternity. It's really a no-brainer. It really is. Why do people forego eternal peace in the presence of God for temporal pleasure on this earth. When you start looking at Bible prophecy, you start looking at end time events, it doesn't make sense. But I'm going to tell you this, in all of it, there's rejoicing. <gasps> Pastor Bob, how can you say there's rejoicing when you talk about an antichrist that's going to set up his kingdom on this earth for the last three and a half years? He's going to make people take the mark of the beast, which is 666, and he's going to put it on the back of their hands on their foreheads. And if they don't buy if they don't take it, then they're going to have, uh, they're going to be beheaded and martyred because of the name of Jesus. And, and then, and what about, what about wormwood falling into the water? What about, what about all this stuff? What about the fire burning up a third of the grass and everything, all the green grass and all this? And what about all this stuff? And they start talking about the horrible things that are taking place. Whoa, 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 stop it. I rejoice because I ain't in it. I'm not there. Hallelujah, I'm not there. I'm raptured out of the mess. I may be through part of it. I may not be in it. I don't know. I don't care when I'm going. I just know I don't have to worry about taking a mark of beast because I am not going to be here. You say, Pastor, oh, but oh, the martyrs are going to be lost. Listen, have you read Revelation? Have you seen where the martyrs end up? Listen, it's rejoicing. You know the part in Revelation where you start talking about it and you see it, oh, we're going to talk about all this stuff. It gets me excited thinking about it. When, they, when John, he's, he's propelled into the future, to the future event, and he's, he's kind of overlooking this, this great worship service around the throne of God. And there's a number of people that he can't even number. There's so many that he can't number in white robes, worshiping, giving praise to the Lamb. I'm in that group. Why do I rejoice? Because there's a little bald spotted guy walking around praising God. That's why. John didn't say, oh look, there's Bob with the bald spot over the side. I don't know. Maybe he didn't see the bald spot. Maybe in heaven is perfection and everybody's bald. I have no idea. Maybe there's no difference. I don't know. But I know this much. I'm there. I was there. When John saw Jesus, I was there. I was there. And I can tell you this too. When John described what the new Jerusalem looked like coming out of heaven, and he said that it has the 12 gates, three on each side that are open, and they have the names of the 12 apostles over the top of the gates, and the gates are made out of a giant pearl, and it is open. People say, there's no pearl that big. That's so big. Listen, God made it all. He can make a pearl that big if he wants. And the gates are open. 
And it says that people can go in and out and find rest anytime they want. Listen, that was me. I was going in and out. Why do I rejoice? Because I'm going to see that happen. Oh, but pastor, in times it's all just blood. And look, I mean, look at our, our image for our thing. It's got the red earth and the end of the last days. Listen, it's all dark. and No, it's not. It's only dark for the rebellious. Only dark for those that refuse to surrender themselves to Christ. Only dark for those that refuse to believe. But if you're a believer, you've got something to rejoice about. Amen? Stand with me if you will, quickly.